morning. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 1, verse 29 to chapter 2, verse 17, and can be found on page 1,557 of the Church Bibles. Chapter 1, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was compassionate. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins by God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take, up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Thanks for reading, Jason. If you missed my name before, my name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church Hunley. Thank you for being with us this morning. Before we look at this passage, how about we pray? Bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you for uh, these words in Mark's Gospel. We pray that you would uh, give us ears that are willing to hear the words that you've written for us today. And as I try and explain these words, please help me to do so in a way that's helpful for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in our kind of second week looking at the opening chapters of Mark's Gospel. Last week, I uh, tried to help you think about how you might read these words. I encourage you to see uh, each paragraph as kind of like a first century post-it note, a little bit of sticky papyrus paper plastered onto Mark's bedroom wall. Uh, I suggested that those bits of uh, uh, papyrus, those bits of uh, post-it notes, were information that he'd been given by the Apostle Peter. And that Mark, as our Gospel author, collates these stories together to give us the Gospel that we have today. And I try to say to you that each paragraph then is kind of like a little bit of evidence that Mark's giving us. And Mark wants us to chase down that evidence to see where it leads. Where does the evidence take us? Where is it going? Well, I think all the evidence is pointing towards the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Redeemer, and he's the Son of God. This week, as we look at the back half of chapter 1 and the start of chapter 2, there's, I think, a subtle change in what the evidence is helping us to see. I wonder if you noticed it as Jason read to us. In these paragraphs, I think when we follow the evidence, what it's showing us is the authority of Jesus. These these paragraphs or these these post-it notes, if you want to call them, that are all, I think, about the authority of Jesus. That's that's crystal clear when we look at chapter 2, verse 10. I read it to you before when we were working our way through communion. I think it's almost like a summary statement of these early verses in Mark's Gospel. Just If you've got a Bible in front of you, I'd love you to turn to Mark chapter 2, verse 10. Here's what Jesus says there. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Authority. If you walk away today just being able to remember one thing, this is what I hope it is. Jesus has authority to forgive sins even your sins. That's what I want you to go away knowing this morning. He's he's powerful enough to do that. You might be the greatest sinner the world's ever seen. He's powerful enough to forgive your sins. And what I also want you to see today is, is not only is he powerful enough to do that work, not only is he powerful enough to do that work, but he also wants to do that work. He wants to forgive. He wants to show compassion. Because that's part of what it means for him to be the Messiah and part of what it means for him to be the Son of God. Now, initially, we see the authority of Jesus working itself out, not so much in the forgiveness of sins, but in his work as a, as a healer. So come with me to uh, chapter 1, verse 29, the start of the reading that Jason 
brought to us this morning. Let me read uh, to you again from there. Mark chapter 1, verse 29 says this. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of, si- uh, to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Now, in the, in the paragraph before this, Jesus had been in the synagogue, and the onlookers had been amazed as they watched him cast out a demon. And again, there in that paragraph, his authority was on view. Now in verse 29, Jesus is in the home of Simon and Andrew and Simon's mother-in-law is sick, in bed with a fever. And what follows then is kind of the first recording of Jesus' work as the the good physician in in Mark's gospel. He's a good physician. Now we have our fair share of medical people here with us at Trinity Church Unley. And I want to say a big thank you to you for your, your work, your hard work at the moment in the the kind of medical world. I know by being married to a doctor that our hospitals and our health systems are under a fair bit of stress and strain at the moment. Many of you are tired and frustrated and I want to thank you for persisting in that work. Thank you for caring for your patients at the moment. We all benefit from a a good health service. We all benefit from, from that. And so I want to say thank you to you. It's good to have good doctors and nurses. The other thing about doctors is there's a whole lot of good doctor jokes out there. I don't know if you've ever come across a doctor joke before. I've got a few for you this morning. Did you, did you hear about um, uh, the doctor who called her patient on the phone? The doctor says to her patient, I'm sorry, but I've got some bad news for you and some very bad news for you. Which would you like first? And being the optimist, the patient said, well, let's just start with the bad news. The doctor says, okay, well, the lab has just called, uh, lab called with your test results you have 24 hours to live. The patient says, 24 hours to live? That's terrible. What could possibly be worse than that? What's the very bad news? And the doctor replies, well, I've been trying to contact you since yesterday. (laughs) Oh, here's another one. Why did the doctor tell the orderly to tiptoe past the medicine cabinet? So they wouldn't wake up the sleeping pills. But what about the doctor who tried to save the patient with an IV line? Unfortunately, it was all in vain. Now, I could go on, but that's probably enough of those for this morning. I want you to come back to Mark and see here, Jesus is the good physician. He's good because he's effective and because he's compassionate. We start with Simon's mother-in-law who's in bed with a fever. Now, there are no IV lines in sight here. Jesus simply reaches out and takes her by the hand and helps her up. The fever leaves her and she begins to wait on them. And you might sort of think, it's a bit weird that she would uh, be sick and then healed and then she would straight away go to waiting on them. But I think what we're supposed to see here is her, her full and her complete restoration. It isn't just as though Jesus has given her a Panadol and she's feeling a bit better. No, she's fully recovered. She's able to get up and host as she would otherwise have done. And all this takes place, isn't it, indoors, in the private of this household. But look what happens next in verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. 
but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. It's a Sabbath day when this is happening, so the people wait until after sunset, and then only then do they bring to Jesus their sick and their demon-possessed. And in verse 33, we see the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus has the good physician. He, he heals many. He drives out many demons. Now, I think most of us are probably reasonably familiar with this passage. And so let me ask you, kind of, what lies behind this text? What does Mark want us to know as we read these passages? Well, I think he wants us to see here that Jesus has the authority or the power to heal any disease. He's powerful enough that nothing can stump him. And so it's no wonder that the whole town comes to the front door of this house, is it? I mean, wouldn't you go? I'd go. I mean, it might help me get my toes sorted once and for all. And Meredith has got a sore leg at the moment. We take her there and Hamish, my youngest, he's six years old, so he's pretty much had a cold all year. We just drag him off just in case, you know. As a first-time reader then, these things are extraordinary, aren't they? And as a first-time reader, wouldn't you expect that the next day Jesus would start to capitalise on his rising fame? You know, half the whole town's there, what's he going to do next? Look what happens. The very next morning, while it's still dark, Jesus gets up and he heads to a solitary place. I strike you as a bit strange. He's the good physician. He can heal any kind of disease. But he seems to be walking away here from the sick. And it's not only strange for us as first-time readers or those of us who are reading for this for the first time, it's also strange for the disciples. Simon and his companions head off to look for Jesus and when they find him, they exclaim, everyone's looking for you. And what do you expect Jesus would say at that point? Maybe you think you should say something like, oh, oh yeah, that's right, let's get back. I've got people to heal and I'm their man, so let's get back in a hurry. That's not what happens. In fact, the opposite happens. Jesus says, let us go somewhere else. The good physician, he kind of seems to be almost running away from the sick at the moment. Why? What do you think is going on here? I think we find our answers to that question in verses 38 and 39. Have have a look what those verses say. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Seems Jesus' reason for coming was to preach, not just to heal the sick. So why then does he heal the sick at all? Well, it's evidence, isn't it? Evidence of his authority and his power. And we see that most clearly, I think, in the story that we see in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Chapter 2 starts with Jesus back in Capernaum. By this stage, the the news about Jesus had spread, and, and people were gathering in such large numbers that they spilled out of the room where he was into the outside area. And there Jesus preached. Now, it's a well-known story, so I won't read it all to you, but a man who couldn't walk was brought before Jesus, but the the room was so crowded, the man had to be lowered in through the roof. Jesus, on seeing the man and his friends in their faith, says this, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And it's not what we're expecting, is it, as readers? 
You know, we've been primed here for him to kind of reach out his hand and, and heal the man. But Mark wants to correct our view about Jesus. He's being careful here to make sure that we as readers know that, that healing bodily ailments is, is not the primary reason that Jesus came. Rather, the healing work that Jesus has been doing is, is evidence that points to his authority. Mark's concerned that we'd see that authority. But not just his authority over sickness, but also the authority he has to forgive sins. Let me read on uh, from from verse 6 of chapter 2. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now Mark's a clever writer, isn't he? There's some irony going on in this passage. The irony in the the teachers of the law reminding us here as readers that only God can forgive sins. And as as readers today, we've got the benefit of knowing that Jesus is actually God. But see the irony here? Here are Jesus' opponents speaking the truth about who he is. But what I think we're really supposed to see here is his authority and the evidence of that authority. Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He came to call people to repentance and belief. And that's what he's doing here with the paralyzed man. He's working powerfully in the the spiritual world, forgiving sins. Just so that we as readers in the crowd can, can be sure about this, he demonstrates his power in the physical, tangible world by, by healing the man's physical ailments. The physical healing then is evidence that Jesus has power to restore in the spiritual realm. And yet while healing in the physical realm, healing the physical ailments might not have been the primary reason that Jesus came, it does align with who he is, doesn't it? It does help us to see that he's the redeemer and the restorer. His healing in the physical world, although maybe not his primary purpose, does align with his character as a man of compassion and love. And it's his compassion and love that seems to be on view in the the previous section where Jesus is approached by a man with leprosy. You know, in Australia in 2022, we might might not be able to interpret the evidence that Mark's laying down here as well as uh, uh, the original readers. I think there's two things going on here. There's the sickness. This man has leprosy, which is a, a devastating skin disease. It was thought to be incurable. Uh, back in 2 Kings chapter 5, you might remember the story of Naaman. He also had leprosy. And back there, the curing of leprosy was kind of put on par with the raising of the dead. Both are very tricky to do, curing leprosy and raising the dead, even for skilled physicians. But secondly, and this is a bit we might miss, this man is ritually unclean as well. Now, we know a little bit about what it means to be ritually unclean, kind of having lived 
through a pandemic, having lived through COVID, there's a stigma kind of associated with that particular sickness, isn't there? If you get COVID, well, even still today, I think, you need to isolate, you cut yourself off from the rest of the world so as you don't contaminate those around you. Leprosy was similar, but the isolation period was, well, for the rest of your life, essentially. And I think this is what lies behind the man's statement, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And that phrase, it it seems to in some way frustrate or irk Jesus, doesn't it? Our Bible translates the frustration using that word indignant. See that there in verse 41? Jesus was indignant. I don't know about you, but indignant's not a word that I, I use all that often. It, it means, I think, a, a feeling similar to anger. I wonder what you think is causing that, that frustration, that angriness. The passage doesn't say clearly, but my guess here is that Jesus is angry at the suffering or frustrated at the suffering caused by leprosy or frustrated by the social stigma. And potentially he's upset that the man might be willing to question or his willingness to help. How often, though, must this man have had requests for help in the past just ignored by people around him? And yet Jesus reaches out his hand and touches this man. Touches him. It feels a bit like the COVID equivalent, doesn't it, of pulling off your mask and breathing in someone's face. It's a vulnerable move. It shows us the character of Jesus. It shows us his compassion and it shows us his love for those who otherwise are unloved. And what happens? Well, the leprosy leaves the man and he's cleansed. And Jesus sends him away with a strong warning. Don't tell this to anyone. And so we see in these verses, Jesus seeming to distance himself from those who who are seeking physical healing. When the crowds get large, looking to be healed physically he seems to walk away from those places sometimes leaving early in the morning when it's still dark and yet while jesus seems to be walking away from those who seek physical healing he also seems to move towards those who need spiritual healing you see that with levi the tax collector jesus calls out to this man come follow me and levi does And again, in 2022, living in Australia as we do, we need help here to interpret the evidence because today we just think of tax uh, officials as being upright citizens like everyone else in society. But here they were thought of as morally bankrupt. It's likely they ripped off their clients on a fairly regular basis. So for us to understand that, we need to kind of think of a shonky used car salesman or perhaps even better, we need to think of someone who's into kind of like scam practices on the internet. I don't know about you, but I get multiple emails or text messages each week telling me that I owe Amazon money or that the tax office is after me or that my bank somehow or for some reason needs to verify my details. We need to think of Levi, I think, as someone who's into that kind of stuff, as a scammer. And yet Jesus calls him to follow him. And not only that, he then goes to his house and eats with him and other tax collectors and just in case we missed it, with many other sinners. So while Jesus seems to be moving away from those who are physically unwell, he seems to be moving towards those who the Bible would describe as sinners. You could say he moves away from the physically unwell, but he moves towards the spiritually unwell. Why? 
Why does Jesus do this? I think it's because he came to seek and save the lost. I have a look what it says in verse 17 of chapter 2. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, we see here what Jesus is like, don't we? Mark's given us ample evidence so far to see the authority of Jesus. And just as the crowds are amazed at his, his work, at his healing, so too we as readers, I think, should be amazed. Here is a man who can heal leprosy. Here is a man who can cast out demons. And yet he walks away from the crowds so that he can come to do what he really set out to do. Forgive sins. Preach the good news about the kingdom of God and call people to repentance. So what do we do with these, these passages today? Why are these verses important for us to be working through today? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. I think in these passages, Mark is giving us assurance that Jesus can forgive our sins. Let me be even more directed, your sins and my sins. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe that, that Jesus can do that work? My guess is that most of us have been coming to church for a while. We know that in our head that Jesus can forgive sins. I wonder if we know it deep down, though. Perhaps you know a person in your life who you would desperately like them to know Jesus. But at the same time, you don't really think Jesus could forgive that person. Why do we feel that? That's about someone else. Maybe think about yourself deep down, really deep down, when you look at yourself, do you doubt that Jesus has the power to forgive your sins? Well, maybe it's not that Jesus lacks the power. Maybe you don't think of him as lacking power or authority. But maybe when you reflect on your own life, you feel so terrible, so guilty, that you doubt that Jesus would want to forgive you. Oh, sure, it's okay for Jesus to forgive the old lady across the street, but the worst thing she's ever done is to yell at the neighbor's dog. It's okay for Jesus to forgive that friend of yours at school, but there's no way he could forgive me. Just too much at stake. Is that how you feel sometimes? Today, we have seen the authority of Jesus... We have seen the authority Jesus has to forgive sins. I want you to see that he also wants to forgive sins. Isn't that why Mark includes his story about the man with leprosy? It seems to me that what the leprous man would have thought is that I'm almost unworthy of being saved. He thought Jesus would have to stray into the messiness and dirtiness of his life and so he doubted that Jesus would reach out and touch him. And yet Jesus did. And so I think this passage tells us that Jesus is willing to reach out into the messiness and dirtiness of our own lives and save us. Because that's what Jesus is like, isn't it? He eats with sinners. He walks in the company of those whose souls are unwell. I mean, encourage you, don't stop inviting him into your life when things get messy or, or don't stop praying for those you love even when you think they're just now gone beyond hope. Our God, Jesus, is compassionate. 
The last thing I want you to see this morning is the way in which Jesus walks away from those who are seeking physical healing and he he seems to walk towards those who need spiritual healing. I wonder, as you follow after Jesus, are you looking for ways in which you can do a sort of similar thing? Are you looking for ways in which you can bring spiritual healing to others? Of course, we don't do that on our own, do we? But we can point people to Jesus. And it seems to me that Jesus has a, a concern for doing this. In fact, it seems as we read these passages that their spiritual healing is the priority for Jesus. I want to encourage you to think of it as a concern and a priority for you and for our church today. Are we leading people to see where they can find spiritual healing and spiritual restoration? It's in and through the person of Jesus. Remind you what we looked at today. Mark's laying out evidence before us here. Evidence to show us that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He's powerful enough to do it, regardless of what your sins are. And not only is he powerful enough to do that, but he wants to forgive because he's compassionate and loving. Other things that characterize our Lord Jesus. Let me give thanks and pray to him now. Father God, we thank you for these uh, verses in Mark's Gospel which remind us and demonstrate to us or even lay out the evidence for the authority and the power and the majesty of Jesus. We thank you for him. Thank you that he has reached out to us in our sinfulness and restored us to be in relationship with you. Father, please help us to know that, not just in our heads, but to, to know that right down deep inside us that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and that he wants to do that in our lives. And please help us as a church to keep being people and keep being a sort of church that points others to the saving grace in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.